Um, not long after uh, Sherry got here, we were doing a sermon series on uh, Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life, and the title came up there, and it, and it said, it's not all about you, Sherry Clifton, and, uh, and, and that kind of became a running joke, you know, on, on the staff, you know, it's not all about you, Sherry, and, and, and we kind of did that, and, and you know, if, if any week has told us, reminded us this week that it's not all about us, this week has, has been it, thank you for the prayer. Um, been a powerful reminder that there is more uh, in the in life and in the gospel than just us but the flip side is it's not all about you but but it is about you um the older i've gotten the more convinced i am of the very personal nature of the gospel and when we come into these resurrection stories uh that becomes really really clear when you have a clopas and simeon walking home to the road of Emmaus that we talked about last week, you know, this, these family members of, of Christ who are wrestling and struggling with trying to come to grips with what's happened, and he, and he joins them, and he explains it all to them. Uh, now, I don't know how you do with your family, but I'm, I'm not always as good at explaining things to my family as I should be, uh, you know, uh, but he, he walks with them and explains it all to them so that they can open their minds to it. Today, uh, it's going to be Peter's turn. Uh, he's already appeared to the disciples in Jerusalem uh, before. So this is, this is another appearance uh, down by the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and, and this time it's going to be about uh, answering Peter's questions. And, and as we go into this, I'm just going to invite you to kind of lean into the story, Roxy, wherever you went. That was wonderful because that, that is exactly who we are. Uh, and understand and hear uh, what word God may have for you this day. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the story picks up. It's uh, just a little bit after the resurrection. Uh, after these things, the resurrection and, and the appearances in Jerusalem, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias is the, uh, the Roman name for it. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others of his disciples. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So they went back to where they began and to what they were doing before Jesus showed up. And went back to fishing. You know, Easter's over. <laughs> the crowds are gone. The celebration's over. Party's done. Uh, it's time to go back to work. We've had three years. It's been a good run, Jesus. But, but it's over with now. And so we're going back to what we know. And we're going back to, to fishing. Not, not fishing for people. Fishing for fish in the sea. And, and when John writes, there are things you learn to listen for. One of them is, is night and day, light and dark. Uh, he's very clear. He uses those images very clearly. So they fish all night in the dark. Get it? They're in the dark. We use that phrase, right? Somebody doesn't understand something, they're in the dark. They're in the dark, and they catch nothing. Because without Christ, they can't do anything. And so, so the gospel writer john wants you to hear that to start with is that you know even in the resurrection you know if you don't hold on to christ if you're not in the light of christ um you are going to be ineffective you're going to accomplish nothing and your life's going to be empty 
And so they returned to, to where they began. Incidentally, this is what it looks like now. Uh, and, and, and began to go fishing in the night, and they caught nothing. So now, uh, just after daybreak, now, what did I just say about light and dark? Remember? Night means you don't understand. Just after daybreak, the light's starting to show up. You get it? Dawning. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And, and, and as in the Emmaus story, I'm pretty sure that, that there's that moment when the Holy Spirit kind of puts his hands over their eyes and says, uh, you know, until you're really ready, you're not going to recognize who he is. And Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered, no, and probably with kind of a no in that obvious kind of tone of voice. And he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat. That's directional, not correct and wrong. To the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. Now, if you remember back in the fifth chapter of Luke, there's a very similar story as Jesus begins his ministry where they've been out fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. He has them cast the net on the other side of the boat. They come with this huge haul of fish. It requires two boats to drag it up to shore. So, so as soon as this happens, you know, they're, they're remembering that event uh, that happened early on in his ministry. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's incidentally, that's John, in John's gospel, always, when you see that, the disciple who Jesus loved, that's a reference to himself. Think what you want about that. Uh, that's the way he does it. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So, so John recognizes who it is. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. I always love that part of the story. Um, any of you who've grown up, you know, on the water, you know, what's the first thing they tell you if you're on a boat and you fall in, what do you do? You take your clothes off, right? Because they get soaked with water and they become heavy and they drag you down. You don't put clothes on. And, and, and if you go out to the river or the lake or the beach, you know, you put on your swimming shorts. You don't put on your three-piece suit to go in and jump in. But, but Peter, he, he, he's, he's so excited. I mean, here it is. I mean, Jesus is, is here and, and he's so excited, he's just beside himself. And so he throws all of his clothes on, and then he leaps in to swim to shore. And you just hear the, the, the excitement and the agitation in him. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off. Now, on the north shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias, uh, there is a cove that's known as Peter's Harbor. Uh, and, and the slope of the mountain above that uh, is the slope where the, the Sermon on the Mount and the miracle of the loaves and fishes took place. And there in the harbor is, is the large place where this story takes place. You can go there and go into the harbor. You can see the, uh, the steps that have been carved into the stone as you come up out of the sea for when they brought their boats in and would come up. And there's a small church there. It's, uh, the little place is called Tabka. And there's a small church there, and underneath the altar of the church is a set of a mosaic in the floor with uh, the fish and the bread that connects the story of, of the loaves and fishes to this story that's happening now when Jesus is fixing breakfast there on the beach. And the little church celebrates both of those two events, uh, and, and you can go and, and be in place and worship there and, and share in communion with your brothers and sisters there. So when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. 
Remember, fish and bread, just like the loaves and fishes. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though they were so many, the net was not torn. Again, John's given you a lot of information in a very short span here. There's 153. There's a lot of discussion about that number. Uh, one is he just wants you to understand that there was a whole lot of them. That's, that's one thing to understand. There's a bunch of them. But, but in this time and in this day and age, the, the lore is that there are 153 tribes of people on the face of the earth. And so that 153 not only tells you that there were a lot of fish, but it tells you that there was one for every tribe. In other words, there's a symbolism in this that when they bring the net ashore, it represents the fact that the net of Christ is for all people and will will gather all people to Christ. And that though that's a huge huge command and it's a huge commitment, uh, the net can handle it. You know, Christ is strong enough, God is strong enough, the church is great enough. So there's this kind of universal kind of command here that the gospel is for everyone. This is who we are. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Again, the number three is a number of completeness, uh, uh, of unity. So this is the third time he's appeared. And, and John wants you to understand that that means, you know, this is, this is real. This is kind of a complete thing. And, and if you uh, think about the story here on the, on the shore where he's got them gathered and he has the fire, uh, John wants you to remember one other thing. There's only two places in the gospel, John, uh, John where the fire occurs. There's only two places it's mentioned. And the first one is the night in Caiaphas' palace where they're standing outside and they're warming themselves by the fire and folks come to Peter and say, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of his disciples? And, and three times he denies it. That's one fire. In the middle of the night, in the darkness, uncomprehending, Peter denies. The second fire comes as the sun comes up and the light and understanding is beginning to break. And John wants you to hear the connection between those two events. One in the dark, but one with understanding. Because Peter's about to understand something that he hasn't understood before. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He 
He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, there's a, there's a whole lot of debate about what, what, what is Jesus referring to there? Um, when he said that to, to him the first time, he says, do you love me more than these? Did he point to the fish? Simon, do you love me more than these fish? You know, you, you, I, I've called you to be a follower and to be a fisher of men, and now here you are back at the sea fishing for these kind of fish. So what is it? You know, which are you choosing? Do you love the fish or do you love me? Which one are you going to do? And, and for each of us, there's a, a similar question in there in our lives. I mean, really, where, where, where's your loyalty ultimately lie? I mean, if push comes to shove, do you love Jesus more than you like your job? Do you love Jesus more than you like your money? Do you love Jesus more than you like your possessions? For Methodists, do you love Jesus more than you like the potluck? Hmm? Do you love more than these? Simon, Simon, do you love me more than these? Maybe he pointed to the, to the, to the fishermen. Do you love me more than your, your friends here? Am I more important to you than these people around you? You may not have had to make that choice. But some of us at points in our lives have. Where we've had to, to have friendships that have had to end. Or we've had people that have ended them with us because of our faith. You know, if you're, if you're going to be like that, I'm done with you. You know? And, and I can remember coming through college and in that span of time that there were, there were people for whom that was a choice. You know, I, I could either be friends with them or I could follow Christ, but I could not do both. And, and some of them put that condition on me and some of them I put the condition on. But it was a choice to be made. Or, or, or is Jesus saying to him, uh, Peter... Do you love me more than these other disciples do? Are you the one that loves me the most? This is the classic understanding of that passage out of the Roman Catholic Church. When Peter becomes the, the head of the church, this is the understanding of what they think it meant. That, that they're saying, you know, do, are you the one among all people? Are you the one who loves me the most? Now, when you go back and you look at that story, I think you can say yes to any one of those three. You can say yes to any one of those three. And it's possible that John left it that way on purpose. To say, you know what, sometimes you're going to have to choose between the fish and Jesus. Sometimes you're going to have to choose between your friends and Jesus. And sometimes you're going to have to be the one in the crowd, who, who even though the rest of them are disciples, you're going to have to be the one who is the most faithful. That call comes to all of us at one time or another. And, and then he has this series of questions. Do you love me? Now, now, he says it three times, right? Do you love me? There's been three denials in the court of Caiaphas, in the, in the court of his house, uh, around that fire. Three times, Peter said, I don't know him. I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know who this guy is. I, I don't know him. I swear. And so Jesus gives him three opportunities. For every denial, there's an affirmation. But if you get into the Greek of it, it's really interesting uh, because the language isn't the same all the way through it. 
Now, reading the early church fathers as they write about this, some of them say, well, you know, John just wasn't really good with his Greek, and so he got a little sloppy here. I'm, I'm serious. Some of them actually, that's kind of how they understand this. My reading of John is that when you, know, when you get into stories like this where he's being very careful, and he's mentioning 153 fish, and he's mentioning the daybreak and so forth, that the, the, the d- details matter. And so you have this exchange that takes place where Jesus says, Peter, do, do you agape? Do you love me? Agape, the, the self-sacrificial, the self-giving kind of love, the kind of love that Christ models for us in the crucifixion. He says, are you willing to do that? And Peter's answer back to him is, yes, Lord, you know that I love Philo. Familial love, love of family. Yes, you know that I love you. Now, why would Peter say it that way? Yeah, as I read through this story, I'm thinking, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me with the sacrificial love? And Peter is thinking back to Caiaphas' court, where instead of claiming Jesus and, and taking a risk for himself, he denies him. And he says, yes, you, you know I love you, but not that way. Because I, I've already proven that I can't love you that way. That I'm not able to do that. That I'm not good enough to do that. And so Jesus comes back to him the second time and does the same thing. Peter, do you agape, love me? And, and Peter's answer is, yes, Lord, phileo, philo, I, I love you. But not that way. And then the third time, some things connect. First off, it's the third time, and Peter hears three for three. But this is the other thing. Jesus changes the word he uses. He says, okay, Peter, if you can't love me that way, can you love me like a brother or sister? When Peter's not able to, to live up to God, God lives down to Peter to connect with him. And Peter says, yeah, I can love you that way. For me, that's a really powerful kind of a moment. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, at various times in my life when I'm bumping along, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty aware that I'm not living up to where I need to be. Don't know if you all ever have those moments, but I have those moments uh, where I'm, I'm there. And, and I, I listen to people talking about this and this, this whole concept about, you know, being, you know, confessing and, and being forgiven, repentance and being forgiven. And, and, and I hear people struggling with that. You know, I don't want to... I don't, I don't like that. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that, you know, that image of God that I have to go confess to, you know, and so forth. You know, like he's some kind of, you know, judge over me or something. And I'm thinking, well, first off, yeah, uh, he is the judge over you, whether you like it or not. Uh, you know, that's kind of the reality of the gospel and, and of all of Scripture. But the other part is to understand that the, the type of judge that you're going before is, is not, you know, God's desire is not to be mean to you. God's desire is not to be punishing Right? I mean, everything we read in the scripture tells us that when we go and, and confess that God forgives, that God pours out grace and mercy, that his steadfast love endures forever, that his mercy is from the, the sun up to the sun down, and as, as far as the east is from the west, God removes our sin from us. 
I mean, over and over, there's those, those passages in Scripture that remind us that this is a forgiving God. And I'm like, well, there's, there's a couple things happening there. Maybe, maybe we are projecting whatever we grew up with. Maybe we're projecting that on God. Maybe you didn't grow up in a strict household. I grew up in a strict household. You know, if it wasn't enough that my grandmother was there whacking me on the head with a wooden spoon, or my father's mother, anybody ever have to go cut a switch? Yeah, you remember that? Or my mother, anybody ever have to go get the belt? Yeah. You know, if you didn't grow up with those kind of discipline, you know, in your, in your life, you know, I mean, you know, uh, you know, maybe you don't understand, but, you know, for me, it's, it's really easy to kind of, you know, project that out. Except that that's really not who God is. That's who my grandmother or my mother was. But it's not who God is. I think the harder part of it is this. Whatever we say, whatever excuse we come up with, we, we really just don't like to have to admit it. I mean, it's, it's brutally painful, isn't it? Isn't it? To stand in front of God and say, okay, this is who I am. This is really who I am. I mean, we don't want to pull that out. We don't want to look at it. Not, not so much because we're afraid of what God might do, but because it, it's, it hurts. And, and, and Peter's there, and all of a sudden, it just dawns on him who he is and what he's done. And that Jesus is here loving him anyway. And the pain isn't because of what Jesus might do to him to punish him. The pain is his own. It's his own. Because he's having to own who he is. And that's the marvelous thing about this story. In the midst of that painful moment, uh, Jesus just loves him. Jesus just loves him as he can. And, and then he says, you know, we're not done. <laughs> you still have a role to play. You're still going to lead my church. And he closes that whole phrase by saying, okay, follow me. Follow me. You know, for me, when I read this story, that's the part that makes it so personal that, you know, and, and gives me such great hope that, you know, no matter how much I mess things up in life, no matter how much it, it hurts to stand in front of God and say, okay, I blew this and I lied about this and I did this. And, I, you know, as, as difficult as it is to be able to do that, it is to understand that in spite of that, God's love still embraces me. God's forgiveness is still poured out on me. God still has something for me to do. And at the end of it all, God still says, okay, come on, follow me. And that's, that's the power of the story. That's the power of the resurrection. God doesn't leave us where we are. That when we feel like laying down and dying because we hurt so bad and because we've messed up so bad, God raises us up over and over and over and over and calls us again. Okay, follow me. So I, I, you know, I don't know what kind of things are going through your head this morning. I don't know what you're bringing, but I suspect all of you at this moment in time, if you close your eyes for a minute, close your eyes for a minute, and if you're honest with yourself, 
you know what things you have said or not said standing around the fire in Caiaphas's court. You know the moments that you've denied, the moments you've downplayed your faith, the moments you've avoided. You know all of those. And if you listen carefully this morning, <laughs> you, you just might hear the voice of Jesus giving you an opportunity. For every moment you've said, I don't know him, Jesus gives you a chance to say, yes, Lord, I love you. For every moment you've lied about who you are, I'm not his follower, Jesus gives you a moment to say, Yes, Lord, <laughs> I do indeed love you. For every moment you've said, no, I'm just, I can't love that way. Jesus gives you a moment to say, yes, Lord, I can love you that way. And then he calls us to follow him. So my friends, listen and hear. Be loved. Be raised up. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this great outpouring of love that you would choose Peter to lead your church, that you would choose someone like us who's frail and prone to failure, who, who in the moments of crisis breaks and, and denies you and lies about who he is. That you would choose him. That you would forgive him and renew him and raise him up again. So that we might walk in that same hope. That we might know in, in all those places and times in our lives when we when we deny you and when we turn our backs on you, when we lie about being your followers. We would know in all those moments that as painful as it is to own that, how wonderful it is to be blessed and forgiven and reclaimed in love and raised up in newness of life. So, Father, we thank you for Peter. But, Father, we thank you even more that even, even in this resurrection, your love is poured out upon each of us. We give you thanks in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>